you. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. It's so wonderful to see such a great group of great friends here this morning. And uh, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to share a message from God's Word with you this morning. And I'm grateful and thankful uh, any time that I have the opportunity uh, to do that. And speaking of God's Word, you see on your screen where our scripture text is today. So I invite you to go to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 8, in your scriptures. And very shortly, we're going to be reading from God's Word. Before we do that, I want you to each one take your bulletin out, if you would, that was placed in your hand when you came into the sanctuary today, and turn to the back page. And on the back page, you'll find that there's a good portion of an outline with blanks to fill in, and I have provided that for your benefit. Uh, I encourage you to fill that in. The answers will be on slides as we go along, but I think it's really important that you um, do that because not only will, I think, the message mean more to you, but it's something you can take home with you and you'll be able to retain some of the truths we talked about today better. So I encourage you, if you would do that at this particular time. Now, we're going to share our scripture in just a moment, but just before we do, I'm going to ask Barbara Barker if she would come up here for just a moment, please. I think that's you, Babs. <laughs> you know, in, in, in December of 2005, we had completed and moved into our first building, which is the sanctuary. And Babs, at that time, in 2005, was the elected church clerk. And still is. And still is. <laughs> but, the, but the church clerk's jobs and duties are limited. So she immediately, she immediately, as a volunteer, an unpaid volunteer, began to show up into the office over here several days a week. And not only was she the one that had the office operational, but she did so many things around this facility. You know, she's a big part of the engine that kept things going. And, you know, you need to be aware of that. Today, as I observe, I, I know she's still the elected church clerk, but I see so many things that Babs is here doing almost every time I'm around here and, and continuing. And I'm so appreciative, Barbara. I don't ever call you that, do I? I'm so appreciative of, you know, you know, I don't know where I would have been without her help and support. So I'm going to ask you, if you would read the scripture for us, I, 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 I know you don't need it, but I always, when I come to the pulpit, um, have a large print in IV oh, Bible, you. okay? <laughs> and, I, and you have it bracketed here, okay. but when you finish reading, would you open with a word of prayer before I begin? Thank you. We're reading from Matthew 8, 34-32. I think that's what it says. 28-34. Well, I can't count. I can read. <laughs> okay. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadanese, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass their way. What do you want with the Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send, them, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went to the town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Bow your heads in prayer, please. Father God, we just thank you this time that we're, Pastor Jean's bringing this word to you. 
let it enter our hearts and, and let us not go out of here without learning something today. Let these words not be void. Lord, we just thank you for everything you do. We thank you for your blessings and your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Very much appreciate the story. It, uh, you know, is, there's a cemetery. Um, there's two violent men, there's the supernatural, there's outraged citizens, and of course, the highlight is that there's pigs, okay? (laughs) This all takes place at the end of a very, very long day in the life and ministry of Jesus. He, you know, in the morning, the early morning, he began teaching what we speak of as the Sermon on the Mount. And so all through the morning and into the early afternoon, Jesus taught those that gathered around him about the basics of the kingdom, how to deal with those we love, how to deal with those that we don't love, you know, what our responsibilities are with our emotions and with our possessions. And at the core always of that, always, even in everything Jesus taught, is our motives, because he's all about motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? And the impact that it will have on God's kingdom. After that full morning of teaching, Jesus made his way back to Capernaum, taking time on the way to heal the leper, the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, And that evening saw him heal even more people and take some time to teach what being his disciple was all about. And through his healings, Jesus showed that he had control over the physical because he is, after all, the great physician. And then came dark, and as Jesus and his disciples made their way across the Sea of Galilee, They are in an open boat, and they encountered a huge storm. Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to stop, and they did. I mean, folks, this is amazing stuff, because, you see, not only was he in control of the physical, but now he proves that he is in control of the natural as well. And now morning has come. I mean, it's been a long day, and the day's still going, but morning has come. And it's been 23 hours since he gathered that group to him on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And now he is about to show his control over the supernatural as well. The group landed at a point that's identified as the region of the Gadarenes, which, you know, as we pull up our map, was located on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's interesting, as you study the New Testament and read how scholars try to identify communities by the descriptions that were given them 2,000 years ago. Because you see, Gadarenes hardly existed 2,000 years ago. It doesn't exist on any of our maps today, but this is where they figured, this is where they figured, and for some reason it's not loaded. There it is. They figured that this is where Gadarenes is located. And so as Jesus and the group landed and came ashore, they were confronted with the most unusual greeting committee. And let's once again look at how Matthew describes that in verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So I suspect that these two men had not been selected by the Gadarenes Chamber of Commerce (laughs) to to greet newcomers coming to their town. 
I mean, they weren't part of the official welcome wagon. But listen to how they greeted Jesus because this is very, very important. Verse 29, what do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Okay, now, who is speaking here? It's the demons that are actually speaking through these two men. It's not the two men themselves alone that's speaking this. It's the demons speaking through them, okay? What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And there's something very, very important in regard to what they said. You know, right there, right there, do you see what they call Jesus, Son of God? These are the very first people inspired by the demons to recognize and identify Jesus' true identity and his divinity. It's the first time in Scripture that he's identified as the Son of God before he's been teacher. He's been Lord, but this is the first time. Sometimes when I talk to folks and try to get a handle on where they are spiritually, where they are spiritually, you know, you ask the question because Jesus talks about a relationship that doesn't have anything to do with a church, a denomination, an organization, a man-made organization. It has to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. People are always talking about wanting to have an experience. The Lord isn't about experiences. He's about relationships. He wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And the relationship that first needs needs to be established for all the other relational things to, to, to come on board is that we need to know we've been born again. That's what the Bible teaches. So do you know of a time, a date, a time, a place where you came to the point that you confessed your sins not to a pastor or some other human being, but you confessed your sins to God and asked for forgiveness and repented, because repentance is, is, is the big thing. You repented, that means you turned your back, you willingly turned your back on what you knew was wrong, turned your face toward Jesus and said, Oh Lord, I want to serve you and live for you honestly as you enable me and help me. I mean, understand I'm a weak human being, and, 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 you know, I may have some failures along the way, but, Lord, my desire is to live for you. And having made that commitment, by faith, invite him to come into your heart and your life and become your Lord and your Savior. That's what the Bible speaks of as the new birth. What is the new birth? It's the birth of God's Spirit within us. And if you don't, if you have never had that happen, if you don't, have that experience in your background, you really are not a born-again Christian. You do not know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. No matter what good works you do, no matter how much money you give to the church, no matter what, you don't know Jesus unless you've made that kind of commitment by faith to him and received what the Bible describes as the new birth. So I ask people, where are you at spiritually? And try to get a handle on it. And they'll say, well, well, I believe. Well, sure, everyone believes something, even if it's that they believe there's no God. They believe something. Or they will say, I believe in God. Or I believe in Jesus. Well, listen to what the Bible says in God's holy word in James chapter 2 and verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So it would appear that these demons, speaking through these men, knew their fate because they understood the truth of Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 that says, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So these demons know that they are destined for eternity of punishment and torment, and yet they still choose to serve Satan. Unfortunately, there are some people in Laughlin 
Nevada just like that today. But note, if you would, Jesus' response. You know, he says nothing. He says nothing in response to that. Sometimes our best response is that. Because they knew the truth. He knew the truth. So there was nothing for him to say. So he just stood there. Note what happens next in verses 30 and 31. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. I mean, do you catch that? They had to ask Jesus' permission to enter the pigs. I mean, you talk about control over the supernatural. Jesus simply spoke the word, all right, go. And the demons entered the pigs, or the pigs charged down the hill into the lake and drowned. End of the story? Not quite. The pig herders go into town. They tell their story. What happened? And then the entire town turns out to see this Jesus for themselves. And then note in verse 34 what happens. Then the whole town, then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So the entire community, the entire community begged Jesus to leave. So think about that. And as you think about that, I want us to notice several important truths that we learn from this incident in the ministry of Jesus. And the first is this, and that is the reality of demons. We live in a time and a culture where the supernatural is depicted as and seems more like fantasy or fiction than reality. And we're quick to dismiss rather than accept that there may be things that we don't understand and can't even explain. Now, one commentator that I read in regard to this incident espoused the view that the men weren't really demon-possessed. I mean, he wrote that they just thought that they were demon-possessed and that their loud, their loud screaming startled the herd of pigs, which ran down the hill into the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus used the death of the pigs to convince the men that the demons had left them and gone into the pigs. I guess that commentator doesn't believe in the veracity or the inerrant truth of the word of God. He doesn't want to accept what the Bible says at face value. We're reminded by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 11 and 12. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, Jesus called Satan our enemy. And that is echoed by the apostle Peter who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 58. Be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. I like to keep referring to scriptures, folks, because it's not my view that counts. It's not my opinion or yours that counts. It's what the Bible has to say. And so if the scripture doesn't back us up, you know, uh, I'm full of hot air and you tell me so, okay? (laughs) As Christians, we often make one of two mistakes. Either we ignore Satan and demons and pretend that they have no power and are nothing more than myths or past problems, or we go to the opposite extreme, and we dwell on them, and we give them credit for every misfortune, every illness, or every trouble that enters our lives. Well, two things you need to know. One is, the devil and demons are real, according to God's word. The second thing is, 
I've read the back of the book, and those followers of Jesus Christ win because he has already won the victory when he rose again on the third day. The victory belongs to the Lord, and we need to belong to the Lord. These two men were possessed by the enemy. The word demon is mentioned in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, 89 times. The first time that demons are mentioned in Scripture is way back in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 17, where it says they offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. The last time that demons are mentioned in God's holy word is in Revelation chapter 18, in verse 2, where it says he gave a mighty shout. Babylon has fallen. That great city has fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. So demons are mentioned. And we suddenly quit moving. Did the mouse move? (laughs) Okay. Demons are mentioned 89 times. The term evil spirits, that gives me a different picture than this gives, okay? So that's the problem. Um, Evil spirits is used 38 times. Devil, 41 times. Satan, 67 times. And if you combine them, you get a total of 235 times that demons, evil spirits, the devil, or Satan are mentioned in the Bible. The name Jesus is mentioned 1,552 times. Christ is mentioned 560 times. Holy Spirit, 138 times. God is mentioned 5,000 times. 271 times for a total of 7,521 times. So 7,521 times versus 235 times. So who do you think we should be focused on? (laughs) The bad guys or the good guys? And again, I know that we can't ignore the reality of spiritual warfare and demons, and evil spirits, they are there, but let's not obsess over them. Here's the second important truth, and that is that Jesus' trip was intentional. There appears to be no other reason I can find as to why he went to that shore after a very, very long day with no sleep to deliver deliver these men and speak to the people of the area. I mean, the region of the Gadarenes wasn't a popular tourist spot. As far as we know, none of the disciples came from that region, so they weren't going home (coughs) to visit family members. They weren't just going for a visit. Well, early on in his ministry, Jesus defined his ministry this way as we find it in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. So Jesus was in gatherings to free the oppressed and release the captives. During his brief visit there, he completely turned the world of these two men upside down. They had been isolated from their community, isolated from their families. Their lives weren't their own. Instead, they were at the mercy of these demons. Jesus set these men free. He set them free. You see, sometimes, sometimes we are focused on reaching communities and miss the fact that the way that happens is by reaching people 
one by one, one by one. Yes, by loving them, one by one. With an entire world to reach, Jesus sailed across Galilee through a storm to make a difference in the lives of these two men. The community of Laughlin and the surrounding area will be changed one person and one family at a time. So each one of us need to ask ourselves, who is there in my life, an acquaintance of mine, who is there in my life who needs me to reach out to them in the name of Jesus that they may be set free? Here's the third important truth. Jesus did what he went there to do. I understand that there is a battle to be fought, but as we've said before, the reality is the war has already been won. The demons knew that, Jesus knew that, and you and I need to know that. Here's your promise for today, Romans 8, 38. And I am convinced that nothing, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Now what I would like to do is I would like to personalize that scripture. I would like you to read it with me as you now see it on the screen in a personal way. And think about the words as you speak them. So would you join with me the way you see it depicted on the screen right now? And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither my fears for today nor my worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from God's love. Do you believe that promise today? Do you believe that promise? Do you want it to be a reality in your life? God is in control. God is in control. He wants to be in control of your life and my life. If you are 100% committed to God, there will be no room for demons in your life. They can't be in his presence. See, Jesus had just landed in gatherings, and the demons knew they couldn't stay. They had to go. They had to go. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 21, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. And it's also why the Apostle James tells us in James 3, 10 and 11. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? So the demons chose to, and, and the Lord allowed them to go into the pigs. But notice what happens. The pigs didn't want them either. They'd rather drown than have a bunch of demons in them. You know, so, you know, you know the story, how they charged down, drowned in the lake. So the question then is, what happened to the demons? Well, this scripture doesn't tell us what happened to the demons there. But what I understand is, is that water wasn't what they were looking for. Because I'm asking you to check out Matthew 12, 43 with me, if you will, please. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert. The desert. Where do we live? Oh, okay, into the desert. <laughs> Seeking rest, but finding none. Now, I'm thinking that if a desert is where a demon would prefer to go, then a lake wouldn't even be a close second, okay? So that battle was won, and here is the good news for today. The battle for your soul has already been won. Praise God. Jesus fought it and won it over 2,000 years ago when Satan tried to nail righteousness to a cross. 
But Jesus defeated him with his resurrection and won the battle right then and there. And all you and I have to do is by faith receive what he has already done for us. And finally, here's our our fourth important truth. Not everyone was happy. Now, we kind of figured that the demons weren't happy. But the last verse of our scripture, well, it, it says that Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So what was up with that? Well, some people feel that they were upset because of the loss of their pigs. Others contend that the people were afraid of Jesus and his power. But if it was the first reason, because they had lost the value of their pigs... They weren't the only people who ever put material possessions over a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some people will never come to the point of accepting the lordship of Jesus because they're afraid of what they will have to give up in order to do that. Whether it's their stuff or their money or their will or their desires that stand in the way, they don't understand what they are losing. Jesus warned us all in Matthew 16, 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, I can find no evidence that Jesus ever returned to gatherings. They rejected Christ, they sent him away, and he left. This incident in the ministry of Jesus reminds us that there is a supernatural battle being waged for the souls of people. And if you want to be on the winning side, then you have to choose. And with that, in closing, I leave you with the challenge of Joshua, who stood before the people of Israel and said, in Joshua 24, 15, choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And to that I say, amen. Amen. Would you please stand? I invite you to do that. Good morning. What a great blessing and privilege to see all of you good friends here this morning. And uh, so delighted that you are here. And uh, I feel like it's a privilege and a blessing uh, to have the honor of the opportunity of sharing a message from God's Word with each one of you here this morning. Now, I'd like for you to notice, and um, I'm looking for Babs in regard to... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You'll notice on the screen that we have our scripture reference there, so I'm going to ask you to turn in your scriptures uh, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, and beginning at verse 28, and we're going to be coming to our scripture lesson uh, in just a moment. So keep your scriptures open, really, through the message. But I'm also going to ask you if you would take your bulletin right now, each one of you, you'd take your bulletin, turn it over to the back page. And I'm going to ask you if you would make use of what you see on the back page. I believe, you know, the answers to fill in the blanks will be on slides on the screen. And I believe that if you are diligent about taking and filling out those blanks and you take this home with you, I think the message will be more meaningful to you. And I think that you'll be able to retain information from it longer. So I encourage you to do that, if you would, uh, at this time. Now, before we come to our scripture reading, uh, I'm going to ask Bernice Harris if she would come up here for just a moment, please. Now, Bernice and I have been good friends for a very long time. And one thing that Bernice has always done is she's really taken good care of her pastors over all the years, you know? Uh, In fact, when I was senior pastor here, Bernice used to, you know, she used to help me out by 
you know, instructing me on how I should dress <laughs> and what I should wear. And she's being very kind and generous to me this morning because, you know, she really, you know, anticipates that a pastor preaching will wear a suit and a tie, and I'm not doing that this morning. <laughs> but, but I am wearing some very nice dress shoes that Bernice gave to me years ago. Okay? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and, and so, you know, I, I don't know whether she's putting the screws on Pastor Ryan or not, but she used to tell me what to do, okay? <laughs> One thing that Bernice always did also, though, in taking care of her pastors, whenever Pastor Appreciation Sunday was coming around, boy, she was always in your corner. She's probably spoken to some of you this morning about next Sunday, you know, uh, where, when we honor Pastor Ryan. Um, she always has taken care of her pastors. Back in that time, we had more than one. And she would always, always be doing great preparation. And, and she's always been a great encouragement, a great blessing. I've always loved the way Bernice reads the scriptures. I've always loved the way she prays. So Bernice, before I start my message, I'm going to ask you to read our scriptures. I've bracketed them here, you know. And I, I know you don't need it, but whenever I go to the pulpit, I bring a large print Bible. Oh, so, thank you, okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. And then after you've read the scripture, I'd appreciate it if before I start my message, you'd offer a word of prayer. Would you do that, please? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for those accolades. I appreciate it. Um, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one would pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Oh, wow. You meet him, and then you plead to leave the region. Oh, I hope when we meet Jesus, I pray that when you and I have met Jesus, we don't want him to ever leave us. Amen. I don't. Because without Jesus, we are nothing. And we can do nothing. Lord God, we come this morning just to say thank you, Lord. We lift up your holy name, Lord, because you are truly worthy to be praised. We thank you, Lord, how you keep us and you sustain us, Lord. And you forgive us our sins when we mess up, Lord. You give us a second chance. And we are so grateful and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the ones that are gathered this morning and those that are online, Lord, we lift them up to you now, Lord. We pray that their hearts and minds are open and receptive to hear your word today and that they may apply it to their daily lives. Oh, Lord, we owe you so much. We love you. We thank you. We're grateful that you give us another chance to get it right. And, Lord, help us not to be demon-possessed. And if we are, Lord, we just ask that you drive those demons out so we can have a clean heart. We ask that you create in us a clean heart so we can serve you today. And, Lord, we lift up Pastor Gene as he brings the message today. We pray that you will continue to strengthen him and continue to fill him with your Holy Spirit, that he will declare your word boldly and with clarity. That someone will come and say, I want to get to know this Jesus who can drive demons out 
I love you, Lord, and I thank you. Bless us today as we hear your message. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Well, you heard the scripture read, and you read along, I hopefully, in, in your scriptures with, with Bernice. Thank you, Bernice. You know, as, as you look at this incident, it's really, a, it's really a great story if you stop and think of all the elements that are involved here. You know, it, it is a, a story that really should draw us all in and get our attention, because what more do you need? You've got a cemetery, you know? You, you've got two violent men, you've got the supernatural, you've got outraged citizens, and of course you've got pigs, you know, to top the whole thing off. So we're, gonna, we're going to dig into these scriptures and we want to unwrap some spiritual truths that should apply to us in our individual lives as we face the challenges that are presented to each and every one of us. This day in the life and ministry of Jesus started, started the morning before uh, when he met with the people and began to teach what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He taught them during that sermon and during that time the basics of the kingdom, how to deal with those that we love and those that we don't love. He, he talked about what our responsibilities are with our emotions and with our possessions. And at the core, always lurked the motives. Jesus is always about our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? And the impact that it will have on God's kingdom. So after a morning of teaching, Jesus made his way back to, to Capernaum, taking time on the way to heal the leper, he healed the centurion's servant, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and that evening, as evening came on, saw him heal even more people and take time to teach them what being his disciple really meant. And through his healings, we find that Jesus is showing his control over the physical, Because after all, Jesus is the great physician. And then came dark, and as Jesus and his disciples made their way across the Sea of Galilee in an open boat, as you recall, they encountered a storm, a terrific storm. And Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to stop, and they did. I mean, not only was he in control of the physical, But now he's demonstrating the fact that he is in control of the natural as well. Now morning has come. The next morning, 23 23 hours have passed since he'd gathered that group on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And now, now he is about to, at the end of this long period, to show his control over the supernatural as well. So the group landed at a point identified here as the region of the Gadarenes, which as we pull up our map, as we pull up our map, was located on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There it is. There it is. Gatherings. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, as you study the New Testament and you read how scholars try to identify communities by the descriptions given them 2,000 years ago. I mean, Gatherings hardly existed 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't even exist today. But this is where uh, scholars figure that it was located. And as Jesus and the group landed and came ashore, they were greeted by a most unusual committee. And let's, let's look at, let Matthew tell us some more about it. Verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gatherings, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. 
they were so violent that no one could pass that way. Now, I would suspect that these men had not been selected by the Gatherings Chamber of Commerce to welcome new visitors to their community. You know, they, they weren't part of the uh, official welcome wagon. But listen to how they greeted Jesus. In verse 29, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before our appointed time? Now, who's speaking here? It's actually the demons that are speaking through these men. It's not these men that are saying this. It's the demons speaking through these men. And did you catch what they actually said? There was something very important in what they said. You see, they called Jesus the Son of God. The Son of God. These are the very first ones in the New Testament to identify Jesus' true identity and his divinity. Up until now, he's been referred to as Lord or referred to as teacher. But this is the first time he is referred to as God's son, and it's the demons that recognize who Jesus really is. Sometimes, when I, when I seek to talk to folks and try to get a handle on where they are spiritually, I'll ask them, do you, do you, have, do you know a time and a place a time and a place when you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, where you came to him and to him and him alone, not to a man, but to him, and confessed your sins, but then you also repented of them. And by repenting of them, it means that you turned your back on them, you turned your face to Jesus, and you said, God, as you help me, I will live for you, I will serve you, I want to do your will, if you will enable me to do that, Lord, I, I give my heart, I give my life to you, and then by faith, open your heart and invite him to come in and become your Lord and your Savior. Do you have such a time and a place when you have, when you have done that? Because this is what it means to be born again. You come to him, you come to him confessing and repenting, and then opening your heart and inviting him by faith to become your Lord and to become your Savior. And you can identify the time and you can identify the place and you can say, I know that I have been born again, because that's how the Bible talks about it. What is that? That's the birth of God's Spirit within you. Within you. So, when people come and I try to talk with them about where they are spiritually, people will say things like, well, I believe. Well, sure. Everyone believes something. I mean, if it, even if they believe that there's no God, they believe something. Or they will say, I believe in God. You know, or I believe in Jesus. Well, listen to what the Bible says about that in God's holy word. James 2.19 says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. And it would appear that the demons know their fate, because it seems that they understand the truth of Matthew 25, 41. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. So these demons know that they are destined for an eternity of punishment and torment, and yet they still choose to serve Satan. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are some people in Laughlin, Nevada, that are just that way today. But note Jesus' response. Jesus' response is that he says nothing. You know, sometimes... That's our best response. They knew the truth. He knew the truth. So there was nothing for him to say, so he just stood there. Note what happens next in verses 30 and 31. 
There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance, so the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. Did you catch that? I mean, they had to ask Jesus' permission to enter the pigs. See, Jesus simply spoke the word. He said, all right, go, go. And the demons entered the pigs. The pigs charged down the hillside into the lake and drowned. End of the story? Well, not exactly. Not exactly. The pig herders. The pig herders go into town. They tell all the people of the whole village what happened. And everyone in the entire town turns out to see Jesus for themselves. And then notice in verse 34 what happens. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So the entire community begged Jesus to leave. Now what we want to do is we want to notice several important truths that we can learn from in this incident in the ministry of Jesus. And here's the first important truth, and that is the reality of demons. You know, we live in a time and a culture where the supernatural seems more like, you know, a movie fantasy or a movie fiction more so than reality. And we're quick to dismiss rather than accept that there may be things that we can't understand or that we can't explain. One commentator that I read espoused the view that these men really weren't demon-possessed. He wrote that they just thought they were demon-possessed and that it was their loud screaming that startled the pigs and caused them to rush into the lake. And then Jesus used the death of the pigs to convince those men that the demons had left them and gone into the pigs. Well, evidently, this commentator, who claimed to be a biblical commentator, evidently he doesn't believe in the veracity or the inerrant inerrant truth of the Word of God. You see, we are reminded by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 11 and 12, put on all the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus called Satan our enemy. And that is echoed by the Apostle Peter, who wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. Now I think, as Christians, we often make one of two mistakes. Either we ignore Satan and demons and pretend that they have no power and are nothing more than myths or past problems going to that extreme. Or we go to the opposite extreme and we dwell on them and we give them credit for every misfortune, every illness, or every trouble that enters our lives. Well, two things you need to know. One, the devil and demons are real, according to God's word. And the other thing is, I've read the back of the book, and through Christ we win. We win through Christ, only through Christ, but through Christ we win. These two men were possessed by the enemy. Now, the word demon is mentioned 89 times in the Bible. The first time that demons are mentioned in Scripture is in Deuteronomy 32.17. They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. The last time that demons are mentioned in the Scriptures is in Revelation chapter 18, 
and verse 2. And there it says, he gave a mighty shout. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. So demons are mentioned 89 times in the Bible. The term evil spirits is used 38 times. The term devil appears in the Bible 41 times. Satan, 67 times. And if you combine them all, you get a total of 235 times that demons, evil spirits, the devil, or Satan are mentioned in the Bible. The name Jesus is mentioned 1,552 times. Christ is mentioned 560 times. Holy Spirit, 138 times. God, 5,271 times for a total of 7,521 times. So what do you have? You have 7,521 times versus 235 times. So who do you think you should be focused on? Who? The bad guys or the good guys? And again... Again, I know that we can't ignore the reality of spiritual warfare and demons and evil spirits. They are there, but let's not obsess over them and attribute everything negative that happens in our lives to demons and evil spirits. Here's the second important truth, and that is this. Jesus' trip was intentional. I mean, there, there appears to be no other reason why at the end of this very, very long day, 23 hours into this day, this heavy-duty day, to, to go to that shore other than to deliver these men and speak to the people of the area. I mean, the region of the Gatherings was not a popular tourist spot. As far as we know, none of the disciples had relatives or family that lived in Gadarenes. So they weren't going just for a visit. In fact, early on, Jesus defined his ministry this way. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. So Jesus was in gatherings to free the oppressed and release the captives. And during his brief visit there, he completely turned the world of these two men upside down. I mean, they had not only been isolated from their community, but they were isolated from their families. It was just the two of them living in the cemetery. Their lives weren't their own. Instead, they were at the mercy of these demons and Jesus came, and he set them free. He set them free. You know, sometimes we get focused on reaching communities for Christ. And we, we miss the fact that the way that happens is by reaching people one by one. Yes, by loving people one by one. So with an entire world to reach, Jesus, after 23 hours, sailed across Galilee through a storm to make a difference in the lives of these two men, these two men. The community of Laughlin and the surrounding area will be changed one person and one family at a time. So each one of us needs to ask ourselves, who is there in my life that needs me? That needs me to reach out to them in the name of Jesus that they may be set free. To reach out to them in love to where either God can use me to minister to them that they might be set free or that God can use me as a friend to bring them to someone who can minister to them to see that they are set free. 
Here's the third important truth, and that is this. Jesus did what he went there to do. You know, I, I understand that there is a battle to be fought, but the reality is, folks, the reality is the war's already been won. You see, we're on the winning side. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, if you're fully and totally committed to Jesus Christ, he already paid the price on the cross. He already won the victory when he rose on the third day. The battle has already been won. The demons know it. Satan knows it. You know, we should know it. We should know it. Here's the promise. Here's your promise for today. Romans 8.38, and I am convinced that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You believe that? You believe that. I'm going to ask you, if you'd allow me to personalize that for all of us, the way it appears on the screen right now. And I'm going to ask you if you would read this scripture the way you see it on the screen right now, together with me. All of us read it together the way you see it there, okay? And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither my fears for today nor my worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from God's love. Praise God. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Celebrate. Celebrate. Do you believe that promise? Do you want it to be a reality in your life? See, God is in control. You know, you look around and you know, you, you might not recognize it, but underneath it all and in the very end, God is in control. He wants to be in control of your life and mine. If you are 100% committed to God, there will be no room for demons in your life. They can't be in his presence. Jesus had just landed in gatherings, and the demons knew they couldn't stay. They had to go. They had to go. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.21, You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. And it's also why the Apostle James tells us in James 3.10 and 11. And so... Blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? And so, and so the demons chose to go into the pigs. But notice what happened. The pigs didn't want them either. They would rather drown than have a bunch of demons in them, you know? So... What, when the pigs drowned, what happened to the demons? Well, this scripture doesn't answer that question. It doesn't tell us what happened to the demons. But from what I understand in reading other scriptures, water wasn't what they were looking for. Check out Matthew twelve, forty-three. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert. Where do I live? (laughs) When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Now I'm thinking that if the desert is where a demon would prefer to go, then a lake wouldn't even be a close second, okay? The important thing is the battle was won. And here's the good news for you and me today. The battle for your soul has already been won. Jesus fought it and won it over 2,000 years ago when, when Satan tried to nail righteousness to a cross. But Jesus defeated him with his resurrection 
and won the battle right then and there. And all you and I have to do is, by faith, receive what He has already done for us. By faith. And that brings us to our fourth and final important truth. And that is this. Not everyone was happy. (laughs) Not everyone was happy. I mean, we kind of figured that the demons weren't happy, you know. But the last verse of our scripture lesson says, Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. You know, and we might ask ourselves the question, well, what was up with that? You know? Well, some people feel that they were upset because of the loss of their pigs. Others contend that the people were afraid of Jesus and his power. But if it was the first reason, if it was an economic reason, because they had lost the money or what they had invested in their pigs, you see, they aren't the only people who ever put material possessions over a relationship with Jesus Christ, are they? I mean, some people will never come to the point of accepting the lordship of Jesus because they're afraid of what they will have to give up in order to do that. Whether it's their stuff, or their money, or their will, or their desires that stand in the way, they don't understand what they are losing, what they're losing. Jesus warned us all in Matthew 16, 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Anything. You know, there's no evidence that Jesus ever returned to Gadarenes, ever, in the remainder of his ministry. They rejected Christ, they sent him away, and he left. This incident in the ministry of Jesus reminds us that there is a supernatural battle being waged for the souls of people. And if you want to be on the winning side, then you have to choose. You have to choose. And with that, I leave you with the challenge of Joshua, who stood before the people of Israel and said in Joshua 24, 15, Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And to that I say, amen, amen, amen. Would you please stand together?